In other words, America coming into existence. God's decree. You being born. God's decree because you're here today. That's the only way you know God's decree. It's mentioned in the Bible or it's already happened in the past because all history has been decreed by God. All the future has been as well. We just don't know what that is. All right, I'm going to start preaching on you here. So let's move on. Maybe I should preach the book of Job, huh? Spend 13 years in it like that one Puritan. Now the rumor is almost this whole congregation left over the 13 years. But I think that's a rumor. Uh, I was listening to Joe Beakey and he said that's not true. Actually the congregation stayed firm and, and even grew a little bit. And he took lots of breaks throughout those 13 years. I don't think I'd spend 13 years on it, but it would be very interesting to go through. Yes, not 13 years probably, but Number three, uh, therefore God is in charge of evil. That's one way to think about it, in charge, sovereign over, in control of, and suffering, and uses it to his own purposes. We've already talked about this in many ways, but we have to remember that. Romans 8, 28. I mentioned it earlier, but let's look at it. Romans 8, 28. A lot of Christians' uh, favorite verse, and that's, that's a good verse, especially in times of trouble. Times of suffering. We know that for those who love God, that, that's the important part. This only applies to those who love God. Those who are saved in Christ. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. So for God's people, for those who trust in the Lord, have faith alone, that He will provide, that He will provide salvation, then all things. Does that include evil things? Does the word all include evil things here? Does it include suffering? Does it include natural disasters? Yes, all things. In fact, in ancient Hebrew, the Hebrew of the Bible, there's one word for evil, and it's the same word for suffering, and it's the same word for natural disasters. Suffering in the sense of bad things happening to me. There are other words for like compassion and and uh, feeling in the gut of, of sadness and emotion. But this idea that whether it's caused by an evil person or it's a hurricane, it's the same word in Hebrew. Meaning in their minds, yeah, we can talk about who caused what, but it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And all those things come from God, ultimately. Even though he's not the author of it, he permits it to happen and decrees that it will. When you're talking to the atheist, don't be scared to mention the wrath of God the way that the Bible does. This could be what drives people to the gospel. So they might say, well, God's going to throw people in hell? Is that what you're telling me? That sounds very evil. That's suffering. Why would a good God do that? Well, it's his wrath. He's righteous. He's not just good or just loving. God is is described as having wrath against sinners. And so if that comes up, you, know, you don't necessarily want to lead off with that. I'm going to evangelize you today. Let me tell you about the wrath of God first. It might, it might be. Maybe that's what they need to hear. It depends on where they're already at with their thinking and what they've heard. So we're back to this question then. Okay, God's sovereign over it, but where did it come from? Where did evil first come from? How did it even come into existence? Well, a common answer is it's man's free will. And uh, people would say, well, God created everything without sin or evil. And then 
God sort of backed away and let man decide, and man's free will sort of brought some kind of evil into the world. Well, we, knew, we know it's through Adam's sin that sin came into the world. But who tempted Eve? Satan. Well, then maybe Satan created evil. Well, God created Satan. Can we go any further back than that? We can go from us back to Adam and Eve, then we can go to Satan, and then God created Satan. Well, Satan was created perfect, though. And Satan fell and then tempted Adam and Eve, who fell, and that's how sin came into the world. But God had to decree that all that would happen. He had to decide that it would. But he's not the author of it in the sense that he created evil. He did not decree evil as a part of his eternal plan. Oh, yeah, but God did, did decree, sorry, he did decree to use evil as part of his eternal plan. I knew that didn't sound right. Uh, nothing can happen that God does not decree. So because it happened, we automatically know it. it it's God's plan. In fact, it's in Scripture. So we must ask, then, what, how do we even think about evil? What is it? Is it like light? It light's a, a particle. It's something that can be measured. Can you measure evil? We kind of know worse forms of evil, but it can't be studied. It can't be measured in that way. I think the best way to think of it is, is like the idea of light and darkness. In fact, evil is often called darkness in the Bible. When I turn the lights on, the lights are on. That's something. When we turn the lights off and there's no light coming in from the windows, what do we call that? Darkness. Now, what is darkness, though? It's an absence of light. So how did evil come into the world? The, the best way to think about it is an absence of light. It's not a thing created. It doesn't have to be created by God because it's not a thing created. It's an absence of light. So Adam and Eve, for example, did have the ability to choose between good and evil. They were not affected by the fall like we are. We're affected by the fall. Even when you're saved, you still have this indwelling sin that you're battling. Adam and Eve did not have that. If you want to talk about free will, they had the closest thing to what modern people think we have today of free will. They still did not have absolute free will. But they at least had the ability to choose right and wrong without sin affecting their minds yet. Once they chose wrong, then the effects of sin occurred on them and all their progeny. So, I think the best way to think of it is an absence of good. Evil is an absence of good. And today, what happens if you withdraw the good, which God says he does in Romans 1? What happens if God withdraws his blessing, withdraws himself from a people? The spiral of sin in Romans 1. And it, instead of God... Uh, giving his blessing, he has abandoned them, and that's his form of wrath that's occurring right now. There's a future wrath that's going to occur when Christ comes back. There's an eternal wrath in hell, but in Romans 1, you get the wrath of abandonment. Because mankind is sinful, and all God has to do is step away, in a sense, and what is mankind going to do? Go further into sin. And you see that in Romans 1 with the spiral. Here's John MacArthur. God did not create evil. He did not author evil. He did not make evil. But listen carefully, very important. God did decree to use evil as a part of his eternal plan. 
He will not be culpable for it. He did not bring it into existence. That would be impossible because God is good, all good, only good. Therefore, whatever comes out of him is all good and only good. God can therefore produce only good. And what is evil but the absence of that good, which is a choice made by the reasonings based upon the information revealed through his creatures. So Satan must have had the same ability as Adam and Eve to choose good from evil. In fact, a third of the angels fell, so the angels must have been created with that ability. Once they made their choice, that was it. And mankind had the ability, and Adam and Eve chose sin. Any questions so far? Yes. It would be accurate in some cases, I think, because God can give a good gift and that could be twisted to be used for evil. But as far as the nature of it and where it came from, that wouldn't really define it. I think that's a better way to describe how certain things can become used for evil that were intended for good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I said that. You heard me say that. You're quoting me. I better be careful how I answer this. Well, what do you think? If we were in Adam and Eve's position? Yeah. I think Adam and Eve are, I know, they're a representative of, Adam's a representative of all mankind. And we would have done the same thing. In fact, if God decreed it, certainly we would have. But yeah, let's just take that, take God's sovereignty for a minute and think just about ourselves. It would have been the same. Otherwise, we would be saying we're better. We, we could have done better. And that's sort of like saying, why didn't God put me there? I'd have made a better choice than Adam. So, yeah. Yes? Uh, a decree is God's decision to, to make it happen. But, but how he makes it happen is hard for us to really describe. Um, God has a plan. He decrees. So in, in theology books, most of the good ones, they'll have a whole section on God's decree. And um, <clears throat> we know what God decrees, for example, in Scripture that's been revealed. So he says, this is going to happen to you, Israel. I'm going to take you into captivity for 70 years. A Messiah is going to come in the future. There's going to be a new covenant. Those are God's decrees in Scripture. Those are revealed. But then there's God's will, his secret will, that we don't know. His decrees that are hidden from us, they're a secret. Who's the next president going to be? Right? What's going to happen to America in 200 years? Is our world going to heat up a little bit? Is it going to get colder? Is it going to be, uh, you know, all that stuff? First of all, we know that's not going to happen, right? Because go back to the uh, Noahic covenant. But all that stuff that's going around that people speculate about, they don't know, they make plans for, uh, that's God's hidden will. We just cannot know. And so the decree, his decree is, is one decree, but it, we see it in two different categories. Basically, predestination is a good example of God's decree. He has decided and willed that it will happen, and therefore it happens. Yes? We could, we could, certainly in Scripture you find that kind of language. Typically, once you 
back out a bit and think theologically, the plan is often described separately. Because a, a decree is a, a decision, a, a willful decision to act upon it. Uh, we typically think of a plan as more of just the, the coming up with what's going to happen. But not if you, if you plan to do something someday like build a house, you haven't yet started on it or even necessarily drew it all out. But that's, we could find verses that do describe God's decree and planning. Yeah. You have something to add over there, Frank? No? Did you teach on the decree of God when you went through his attributes? It's not really typically a de- an attribute, right? Yeah, providence is a good one as well for, for decree. What is providence? God, what God brings about. And he brings it about according to his decree. He has decided it will happen. And then we see it happen and we say, that's God's providence. Right? That's where we have to be really good with our biblical thinking on this and our language. Um, it's not wrong to say, you know, God has blessed me. This person came across my path today. Uh, the Holy Spirit brought this to pass. But it's also fine, and we should say, it's God's providence that this happened. It's God's providence. Uh, God that's focusing more on his decree and bringing it to pass. Bible truths on evil and sin. We've already been talking about this. Uh, angels and man both sin voluntarily. God did not force them to do it. He gave them the ability to do it, and they some did uh, with the angels, and mankind did with Adam. There's not an eternally existing evil power in opposition to God. This is a cultural thing that has seeped into Christianity from the beginning. Uh, The the, the Gnostics brought it in because the Greeks believe, because of Plato's writings and and their beliefs, that there's a good God and an evil God. You know, there's the creator God, and then there's the demiurge, and all these different kinds of uh, thinking. And you still find this in, in many cults today and other religions. There's an opposing force out there against God. And you find this very popular in uh, books and movies about Christianity even. Uh, sometimes Roman Catholics end up thinking this way, and even Protestants. Well, that's not God. That was Satan that brought that hurricane. Well, the Bible says God's over all things and sovereign over all things. And the Bible actually says that God will bring about these things to punish. Sometimes he brings them about to test. We can't go around saying, well, you know, Florida is so sinful, God brought that hurricane on them. We don't know the mind of God in that. The Bible does say that God will bring natural disasters on people to punish them. But we only know for sure because he said that he was going to do that to Israel, for example. I can't say that for sure today when that happens. Could be. Could be. But we certainly can't turn around and say God had nothing to do with that. God had nothing to do with that. Some will go so far as to say it never entered the mind of God that those evil things would happen. You know, R.C. Sproul has this great clip about, uh, he's talking about evil, and he talks about 9-11. And uh, I don't know who it was. Somebody had said that God didn't do that, that God would never do that. It was a famous, who who was the famous guy? Was it the moral majority guy? He came out against the little furry things on TV that had the antenna. He's passed on. Liberty College. Falwell? Jerry Falwell. I think it was Jerry Falwell he's talking, R.C. Sproul's talking about in that clip. Jerry Falwell said, you know, God had nothing to do with 9-11. He, it didn't even 
come into his plan was the idea. So we can't say that. We can say it's evil. We can say, of course, Satan had something to do with it. But if we go to the book of Job, we understand that Satan's on a leash. And Martin Luther said the devil is God's devil. God created him. God permitted him to fall. God permitted mankind to fall. And God can rein Satan in anytime he wants. And he can let him out a little bit to test people. But he's always on a leash. And eventually he's thrown into the lake of fire at the end of Revelation. Satan and the angels sin first, then Adam and Eve. We already talked about that. Back to this question, just to make sure to drill it into you here, because this comes up. Uh, if you're online, which I don't recommend you go online to argue any of this, but if you get on the line, this is a, a big problem of evil. Is a, it's a big argument. Uh, sin brought about the salvation of sinners. God had to decrease sin in the plan, though he's never the author of it, in order that he might save sinners. How can he save sinners if there are no sinners? And you might say, well, God could have just let us all go on. Well, a couple of answers to that. First of all, was Adam in his perfected eternal state? No, he's not. He's not. Why, how do we know that Adam was not in his eternal perfected state when God created him? I mean, there's many ways, but how do we know? He was able to sin. You can't be in your perfected state if you're able to sin. Also, how else? He ended up dying. Yeah, it was a result of sin, but the fact that he could die, it means he's not perfected. So it's, it's not okay to say God could have just let things go. He could have done what he wanted, but he had decreed a certain plan, and it must come to pass. And so just looking at Adam, there was still something else that needed to happen for Adam to get from the state of existence as a person to the perfected state. Um, whatever that would look like. We don't know. We can't speculate. I guess we can, but it's not, it's not going to be profitable. Um, also, was the decree for Christ to come and die for sinners already in place before God created Adam and Eve? It was. So, backing up, even if Adam is good and doesn't sin, somehow still Christ has to come and do something to save people. So that's all speculation. We're just kind of thinking what happened if Adam didn't uh, sin. But the point is God had a decree. It had to come to pass. And whatever happens that does come to pass is all under the sovereign hand of God. I believe that God has allowed sin in order that he might forever destroy is how one person puts it. Uh, I don't think that's, that's a bad way of saying it. Um, God allowed it so he could show his power and glory to forever destroy it. It won't exist forever. So he allows it so that he might display his wrath. We already covered that in Romans 9. The fact of evil and suffering is not an argument against Christianity. Now this is a transcendental argument. We talked about that last week, the transcendental argument. The fact that it exists is not an argument against Christianity. It's a reason for Christianity because only Christianity offers a true explanation of this so-called problem of evil. Who else has an explanation of the problem of evil that's worth any salt? What's the best the world can do outside of Christianity with evil? Ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. We saw that. Or say it, it's all man's fault. That doesn't really work either because where did man come from? God has a morally sufficient reason for it. Here we are just... Reminding you of that, we are not told the reason explicitly, but 
a good and wise reason does exist. Evil exists so God can manifest the full array of his attributes. I mean, this allows you to talk to the atheist, the unbeliever, and explain these things. Only God has an explanation for the evil in the world. It came through Adam and Eve into mankind. What other religion, what other philosophy explains that? The world as it is, is the best world to bring God the most glory, or it wouldn't exist. The way God set up things is the absolute best way in his mind for things to be set up, or he wouldn't have done it in the first place. So when we have problems with God about evil and suffering, we're really questioning his wisdom and why he did things. It's fine to call out to God in sadness and suffering. It's fine to to call out to him for help, even to ask for understanding uh, as a Christian. But realize you're never going to get the full understanding. And what we should not do, because it's sinful, is accuse God of doing something wrong or evil or rebel against him because he did something we didn't like. Right, and you bring up a good point. Sometimes we do get some understanding in this life of why God, we, we see good come of something and uh, we've all seen that in our life. We sometimes see that in the church. You know, why do things happen the way they do and good comes out of that a year or two later? But we, we don't always understand. Uh, we understand some things, but that's a good point. It all comes back to trusting God. We know the unbeliever doesn't trust God at all. So that's really, the issue isn't, when you get down to it, remember the issue is not a thinking problem. It's a heart problem. People say they have a problem with evil existing. The unbeliever does. But really, their problem is that God exists and he is judging them for their sin. And so, hey, this problem of evil sounds really great. Let me throw that out there and uh, that will knock God out of the picture. Remember God's sovereignty over evil and suffering in the the verses we've looked at. But also, I was thinking yesterday about this and came up with another verse. I remember preaching through Ecclesiastes, and this comes up a lot in Ecclesiastes. Um, Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he has bent? God has bent some things. Paul talks about this in uh, Romans 8, that the, the whole world is groaning groaning because it's under stress and strain from sin. Everything in creation has been submitted to sin because of Adam. And it's groaning. It's it's waiting in a sense for to be redeemed when Christ comes back and remakes everything perfect. Uh, Not that it actually is groaning and saying words, but he's using that as a, a metaphor to describe the effects of sin on the world. So God has has bent things. And it's okay to say that directly because we're not saying he actually created the evil that bent it, but Solomon understands that he permitted it, therefore he is sovereign, and it's fine to say he has bent it. And the day of prosperity, be happy. So what's, what's the best way to handle this problem of evil that's out there? And you're sitting there thinking there's so much evil in the world. Well, if, if things are good in your life, be happy about it. Be joyful about it. But when things are bad in your life, consider this. God has made the one, the happy stuff, as well as the adversity. So that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Our goal is not to be like God, so that we know what's going to happen after us. Because in Ecclesiastes, there's this idea of passing something on to his son, and passing something on to the next generation, and even the kingship, uh, and the nation of Israel, and such. But We don't know what's going to happen after us. We only know during this life 
that we are to fear God as a believer. We are to obey his commandments and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's how the New Testament says this. In other words, stop worrying about what God is going to do to all this evil. The Bible gives you the answer. Stop worrying about the evil in the world, in our country. God is sovereign. God will correct that. Do your part and whatever that means in your family and your city and your state and your country. But don't think you can fix it. God has bent it for a reason and he's going to be the one who straightens it out in his timing. Charles Spurgeon, I like this one a lot. When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. You can rest and you can sleep knowing that God is sovereign. He also says there's no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty hath ordained their afflictions. That sovereignty overrules them, that sovereignty will sanctify them all. The problem isn't that these things are happening to us. That's what we focus on. The issue is we don't understand why. We don't always know what to do. We get so focused and drilled down on one little thing. We need to back out and look at the big picture. That's why God says, I created the heavens and the earth, the expanse. Look at all that I've done. Think about that, not your one little problem that's driving you crazy. And we all have those. If God is good, how could he command holy war in the Old Testament? Isn't that an evil? Isn't he telling people to do evil? Well, Genesis 1.31, in the very first chapter of the Old Testament, read that God, the creator of all heaven and earth, made everything very good. So there's nothing there when he created that that could be called evil. Then you get to Exodus. Yahweh, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So God is good even after sin entered the world. God is still good. It didn't change God. It changed mankind. In the NSB, the phrase, His loving kindness is everlasting, is found 40 times in the New Testament. 40 times in the New Testament. Before He sent Israel in to, to slaughter the pagans, after that, He's still good. The fact is, the Old Testament speaks of God's goodness and love numerous times. God's wrath revealed in the Old Testament should not be stressed to the exclusion of His other attributes. That's what's happening with this question. It's elevating God's wrath up here and then saying, we're going to set mercy and forgiveness aside. Uh, he's God. He created those pagans. And when he decides to judge them for their sin, he will do it. Whether that's through Israel coming in or whether that's through things falling out of the sky someday before Christ returns, he will judge people. He gets to decide when that occurs. All right, divine anger, wrath, and justice are also shown or spoken of in the New Testament. I'm just going to give you those real quick here. John 3, uh, 36, Revelation 2, 23. So there's wrath in the New Testament. Don't fall into this idea that wrath in the Old Testament. How could God do that? Well, why doesn't the unbeliever say, how could God's wrath also be in the New Testament? We need to show them that. Wrath is in the Old and the New. Grace is in the Old and the New. Why is that? Because God has righteousness in the Old and the New. Of course, he's God. He never changes. God's love is always there. It never changes. All right, how can we enjoy heaven? Knowing, oh, we've got to wait for this one, sorry. Too much, too much. How can we enjoy heaven knowing that our loved ones will be in hell? Oh, that's a big one. Next week, don't miss out. You're going to know, you want to know that. We all have loved ones that went to hell, or will. And we need to know the answer to that. Because to some people, that is uh, the problem of evil in a different form.
Lord, we thank you for our morning. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you. You've given us the answers in Scripture. Help us to know what the Bible says. Help us to know the book of Job. So important for us to understand evil in the world. So important to understand the trials that we must go through. Lord, we want to know this book because it has the answers to how we should live and how we should walk. So we pray that you would give us that knowledge and give us more of an understanding there. We pray this, you would do it by the Spirit in us. Amen.